Section 29 of the McDermott's of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The McDermott's of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section 29. The Escape. Chapter 22. The Escape. Thady left the house immediately after the last cruel speech his father made to him, with tears running fast down his face. He leapt down the steps, hurried across the lawn, through the little shrubbery, and over the wall onto the road. He did not dare to go alone down the avenue, and by the spot where Usher's body had lain, and where the ground would still be moist with his blood. His father's words still rang dreadfully in his ears. Murdered! Of course they'll call it murdered! Of course they'll be sure to hang you. And then he thought of all the bearings of the case, and it seemed to him that his father must be right, that there could be no doubt but that all men would call him by that horrid name which sounded so hideously in his ears. If that which he had done was not murder, what manner in which one man could kill another would be thought so? It was now evident to him that Feemy had been with Usher willingly, that she was there of her own consent and by appointment, and merely because she had fainted in his arms, he had struck him down and killed him. Of course his father was right. Of course they would call it murder. And then again, even if he could justify the deed to himself, even if he could make himself believe that the man was at the time using violence to his sister, how could he get that proved? Whereas proofs of her having consented to go off with him would no doubt not be wanting. And then again, Thaddy remembered, and as he did so the cold sweat stood upon his brow, how lately he had sat in the company where the murder of this very man whom he had now killed had been coolly canvassed and decided on, and he had been one of those who were to be banded together for its execution. Would all this be forgotten at his trial? Would there not certainly be someone to come forward at that horrid hour and swear these things against him, aye, and truly swear them? And then he fancied the precision with which he knew each damning word he had lightly uttered would be brought against him. Would not these things surely condemn him? Would they not surely hang him? It would be useless for him, then, to open his bosom and to declare to them how hateful, even during the feverish hours of that detested evening, the idea of murder had been to his soul. It would be useless for him to tell them that even then, at that same time, he had cautioned Usher to avoid the danger with which he was threatened. It would be vain for him to declare how soon and how entirely he had since repented of the folly of which he had on that occasion been guilty. The stern faces by whom he would be surrounded at his trial, when he should stand in that disgraceful spot, with his head leaning on the bar so often pressed by murderers, miscreants, and thieves, would receive his protestations very differently from that benign friend who had previously comforted him in his misery. They would neither listen to nor believe his assurances, and he said involuntarily to himself, Murder! Of course they'll call it murder. Of course they'll hang me. The oftener he thought this, the more he hurried, for he felt that the police would soon be in search of him, and that, at most, he had but that night to escape from them. As these ideas crossed his mind, he hastened along the lane leading to Drumslish, sometimes running and sometimes walking, till the perspiration stood upon his brow. 
if it was murder that he had done, if the world should consider it as murder, then he would most probably soon be in the same condition as that criminal whose trial had so vividly occurred to his recollection a few days ago. At that time, the idea had only haunted him. He had only then dreamt of the possibility of his situation being the same as that man's. And the very horror he had then felt at the bare thought had made him determined to avoid those who could even talk of the crime which would lead to that situation. But now he had, of his own accord, committed that crime. And how had he done it? In such a manner that he could by no possibility escape detection. Then again he tried to comfort himself by reflecting that it was not murder, that his intention had not been to murder the man. But his father's horrid words again rang through his ears, and he felt that there was no hope for him but in flight. The moon got up when he was about halfway to his destination, and he left the road lest by chance there might be any one out at this hour who would recognize him. He crept on by the hedges and ditches, sometimes running along the bits of grass between the tillage and fences, sometimes having almost to wade through the wet bottoms, which he crossed, often falling, in his hurry, and in the imperfect light of the cloudy moon, till at last, tired, hot, and covered with dirt, pale with fear, and nearly overcome by the misery of his own reflections, he reached Corney Dolan's cabin. It was now about eleven o'clock. It had been past ten when he left Ballycloran, and in the interval he had traversed about five Irish miles. There was no light in the cabin, which was a solitary one, standing on the edge of a bog. Now he was there, he feared to knock, as he did not know what to say to Corney when he should come to the door. Besides, he was aware that his hand and coat were soiled with blood, and he was unwilling that inmates of the cabin should see him in that plight. He had, however, no time to spare, and as it was necessary that he should do something, after pausing a few minutes, he knocked at the door. No one answered, and he had to knock two or three times before he was asked, in a woman's voice, who he was, and what he wanted there at that hour of night. He stated that he wanted to see Corney Dolan. The woman told him that Corney Dolan wasn't at home, and that he couldn't see him. Thaddy knew that he lived alone with his mother, an aged woman, nearly eighty years old, and that it was she who was speaking to him now. "'Nonsense, mother,' said he. "'He's at home, I know, and I must see him. Don't you know me?' "'Faith, and I don't, and I don't want,' said the old hag. "'At any rate, Corney's not here, so you may just go back again wherever you call yourself. But where is he, then? Can you tell me where I'll find him?' I can't tell you thing. What should I know myself? So now you know as much about it as I do. Well, then get up and let me in. Don't you know me? I'm Corney's landlord, Thaddy McDermott. I'll wait here till he comes, so get up, let me in. There was a silence for some time. Then he heard the old woman say to someone else, Lord be praised, it can't be him. It can't be Mr. Thaddy coming here at this time of night. Don't stir, I tell ye. Don't stir. Oh, but it were him, mother. "'Sure don't I know his voice,' answered the child that the old woman had spoken to. "'I tell you it's me,' shouted Thaddy. "'Open the door, will you, and not keep me here all night.' The child now got up and opened the door, and let him into the single room which the cabin contained. There were still a few embers of turf alight on the hearth, but not sufficient to have enabled Thaddy to see anything had not the moon shone brightly in through the door. There was but one bed in the place— at the end of the cabin, 
farthest from the door, standing between the hearth and the wall, and in this the old woman was lying. The child, about eight years, had jumped out of bed stark naked, and now in this condition was endeavouring with a bit of stick to poke the hot embers together so as to give out a better heat and light. But Thaddy was in want of neither, and he therefore desired the boy to get into bed, and upsetting with his foot the little heap which the urchin had so industriously collected together for his benefit, so as to extinguish the few flickering flames which it afforded, he sat down to try and think what it would now best be for him to do. "'Where's Corny, then?' he said, at this hour. "'Will he be long before he's here?' "'Not a one of me rightly knows, Your Honour. "'Maybe it'll not be long afore he's here, "'and maybe it'll not be afore the morning,' said the child. "'And maybe not then,' added his grandmother. "'There's no knowing when he'll be here, maybe not for days. "'I don't know what's come to them at all now, "'being out night scurrying through the country. "'It can't come to no good anyways.' "'When Corney's at home, where does he sleep?' said Thaddy, "'looking around the cabin for a second bed, but seeing none.' He mostly takes a stretch then down before the fire, but Corney's not over particular where he sleeps. For that matter, I believe he sleeps most of the time out in the bog at daytime. Thaddy now sat down on one of the two rude stools with which the place was furnished, either to wait for Corney or to make up his mind what other steps he would take. He had closed and bolted the door, and was just in the act of asking the old woman whether Joe Reynolds was at present living on his bit of land, or if not, where he was, when he heard footsteps coming up the little path to the door, and the woman, sitting up in bed, said, "'There's both of them, then. Get up, Terry, and open the door.' One of the men outside rattled the latch quietly to let the inmates know who it was that desired admittance, and the naked boy again jumped out of bed, and, opening the door, ran back and jumped in again. Two men now entered, whom Thaddy, as they appeared in the moonlight through the open door, at once recognized as Joe Reynolds and Corney Dolan. He was seated close to the fire, and in the darkness and obscurity of the cabin they did not at first perceive him. A few moments since he had been longing for these two men, who now stood before him, as the only persons on whom he could depend for security and concealment, and now they were there he almost wished them back again, so difficult did he find it to tell them what he had to say, and to beg of them the assistance he required. "'Who the devil are you?' said Corney. "'Who's this you've got here, mother? And what made you let him in here this time o' night?' "'Sure it's young master, Corney, and he's asking after you. You wouldn't have me keeping him out in the cold, and he's waiting there to see you that ought to have been home and asleep two hours since.' "'Fay, Mr. Thaddy, and is that yourself?' said Corney. "'Well, anyway, you're welcome here.' "'I'm glad to see you here, Mr. Thaddy,' said Joe. "'Didn't I tell you you'd be coming? "'Through, it's a queer time you've chosen. "'Didn't I tell you you'd be changing your mind?' "'But was your honour wanting me, Mr. Thaddy?' said Corney. "'Deed, but this is a bad place for you to come to. "'Sorrow a light for ye, or the last thing in life.' "'What for did you not get a light, you old hag, when the master came in?' "'A light, is it, Corney? And how was I to be getting a light, "'when there's not a sight of bit of candle in the place since last winter, "'nor likely to be the way you're going on now?' "'Wish there now,' said Joe. "'We'll be doing very well without a light. "'But why wasn't you down here earlier, Mr. Thaddy? "'We two have just come from Mother Mulready's, "'and by rights 
as you've come round again, you should have been there with us. Never mind that, Joe, but come out. I want to speak with you. Did you hear the news about Usher, continued Joe, without moving, and in a whisper which the old woman could not hear? That blackguard Usher has escaped out of the country after all, without paying any of us the debt that he owed us for all the evils he's done. He went out of Mohill this night, and he's not to be back again. If I'd known it afore he started, I'd have stopped him in the road, and by God, he should never have got out alive of the barony. But did you hear he was gone? said Corney. I did, replied Thaddy. But, Joe, I want to speak with you, and there's no time to spare. Come here. And Joe followed him to the door. Come further. I don't want him to hear what I've to say to you. And he walked on some little way before he continued. You were wishing just now that you had shed Usher's blood. Well, I wore, I suppose, Mr. Thaddy. You're not going to threaten me with the magistrate again. I were wishing it, and I do wish it. He was the hardest man on the poor, and the cruelest ruffian I ever knew. Isn't there my brother that never even acted again the law in the last thing in life, the quietest boy, as you know, Mr. Thaddy, anywhere in the country? And who knew no more about stealing than the babe that's unborn? Isn't he lying in jail this night all along of him? And it ain't only him. Isn't there more, many more in the same way, in jail all through the country, and who but him but put him there? I do wish he was forenced me this moment, and that I might have him here as a cold corpse as ever would stretch upon the ground. I tell you, Joe, have you had your wish? Have you struck the blow, and the man you so hate was dead beneath your feet? You'd give all you had, you'd give your own life to see him again, standing alive upon the ground, and to feel for one moment that you'd not his blood to answer for. By God, no, Mr. Thaddy, I'm not so weak, and as for answering for his blood by the Blessed Virgin, but I'd think it were a good deed to rid the country of such a tyrant. He'll never act the tyrant again, Joe, for he is dead. I struck him down with my stick in the avenue at Ballycloran this night, and he never moved again after I hit him. The Holy Virgin save us! But are you in earnest, Mr. Thaddy? Do you mean to say he's dead, that you killed him? And after walking on a little, he said, By the Holy Virgin, I'd sooner it had been myself, if I could have borne the thoughts of having done it better than you are like to do. And what did you do with the body? Brady took it into Carrick. And does Brady know it were you who did it? Yes, they all know it, father and all. What was the use of telling a lie about it? Feemy was with him when I struck him. And was she going off with him? Never mind, Mr. Thaddy, never mind. It's a comfort to think you've saved your sister from him, and you know what a ruffian he was. By all the powers of glory, there's a weight off my mind. Now I know he's not escaped from the country, where he caused so much misery, and did so much ill. But I'd a deal sooner it had been I that had done it than yourself. I wish it were not done at all. I wish you were alive this day. What will I do now, Joe? Faye. That's the question. Anyway, this is not the place for you any longer. They'd have you in Carrick jail before tomorrow night, if you were not out of this and far out of this, too. Where is it you have the stills, Joe? If I were there, couldn't I be safe for a little time, at least, till I got some plan of getting entirely out of the country? Or maybe when they hear the case and how it all happened, they mightn't think it murder at all. The coroner, I mean. 
and then I could go home again, or at any rate, go away where I choose without hindrance. It's little I care where I was so long as it's not in prison. I'm afraid, Mr. Thady, there's no hope for you in that way. The magistrates, with Jonas Brown at the head of them, will be a dale too willing to make a bad case of it, the devil mend them, to lend you off, and the only thing for you is to keep out of their hands. Would they find me there, Joe, up in the mountains where you have the stills? They might, and they mightn't. But if you were there, and they did find you, they'd be finding the stills, too, and the boys wouldn't like that. Where shall I go, then? I thought you'd be able to help me. In heaven's name, what shall I do? The night's half over now. Can't you think of any place where I might be, for tomorrow at any rate? I depended on you, Joe, and now you won't help me? There you're wrong. I'm thinking now where's the place for you, and by God, as long as I can stick to you, I will, both because you were always a kind master to the poor, and because the man you killed were him I hated worse than all the world besides. But it's no easy thing to say where you'd be safest. Do you know Ogcashel, Mr. Thaddy? I never was there, but I know that's the name of the big mountain over Loch Allen to the north of Cash. Well, that's where the stills are mostly at work now, and that's where I was to be myself tomorrow evening. But now we must both be there before the sun's up, for no one must see us on the road. But, Mr. Thaddy, how will I do about taking you there, when you wouldn't come to Mulrady's to take the oath, which all must do afore they are allowed among the boys that is together, or as will be together there tomorrow evening? Thaddy then promised him that when he reached their destination, he would take any or every oath that might be proposed to him, that he would join their society in every respect, whatever might be its laws, and that if they would assist him in his present condition by affording him whatever security might be in their power, he would faithfully conform to all their rules and regulations. So far did his fears and the agitated state of his mind overcome the great repugnance which still he felt to break the solemn promise he had given Father John, and which he had so faithfully intended to keep. Reynolds reflected that though it was contrary to their regulations to bring a stranger to the haunts where his companions carried on their illegal trade, they could hardly be unwilling to give shelter to the man who had killed an enemy, whom they all so cordially hated, and to murder whom they were all sworn, particularly when his present necessity of concealment arose from the fact of his having done so. Reynolds had an idea of justice in his composition. He knew that had he murdered Usher, his companions would have used every effort to conceal him and to baffle his pursuers, and he was determined that they should do as much for Thaddy. He went back to the cabin for Corny Dolan and told him the story which he had just heard and at about midnight the party started for the mountains. Og Cashel is a mountain on the eastern side of Loch Allen, near the borders of the county Cavan, uncultivated and rocky at the top, but nevertheless inhabited and studded with many miserably poor cabins, till within a quarter of a mile of the summit. The owners of these cabins, with great labor, have contrived to obtain wretchedly poor crops of potatoes from the barren soil immediately around their cabins. To their agricultural pursuits, many joined the more profitable but hazardous business of making poteen, and they were, generally speaking, a lawless, reckless set of people, paying some little and others no rent, and living without the common blessings 
or restraints of civilization. No road or sign of a road came within some miles of them. Drumshabot, the nearest village, was seven or eight miles distant from them, and although they knew that neither the barrenness of their locality nor the want of means of approach would altogether secure them from the unwelcome visits of the revenue police or the constabulary, still they felt sure that neither of these inical forces could come into their immediate neighborhood without their making themselves aware of their approach in time to guard against entry which they might do them either by removing all vestiges of their trade or by sending those who were in fear of being taken up into more inaccessible portions of the mountain on the western side of augachel immediately over loch allen and about halfway between the lowlands and the summit a kind of rude lime kiln had been made apparently for the purpose of burning lime for the neighboring land but the very poor state of the rocky ground about which gave signs of but little industry afforded evidence that the lime kiln had not added much to the agricultural wealth of the country it was now at any rate made use of for other purposes for it was in here that joe reynolds at present usually worked his still there were only two cabins immediately close to it one which was occupied by a very old man and his daughter but in which corny dolan and reynolds resided when they were away from drumslish and the other belonged to another partner in the business who considered himself the owner of the lime kiln and the head of the party concerned in it this man's name was daniel kennedy and to the reckless desperate contempt of authority and hatred of those who exercised it which characterized reynolds he added a cruelty of disposition and a love of wickedness from which the other was much more free this was the place to which his two guides were now conducting thaddy and where it was proposed that he should at any rate for some time conceal himself from those who it was presumed would soon be scouring the country in search of him it was now a bright moonlit night and the three men hurried across the country with all the haste they could make little was said between them as they went excepting observations made between joe and his comrade as to the characters and occupations of the residents in the various cabins by which they passed after going for some considerable way across fields and bogs and bottomlands, they came out on a lane running close around a small lake lying in the bed of the low hills which rose on the other side of it. The water was beautifully calm and the moon shining immediately down upon it gave it the appearance of a large surface of polished silver. At this spot the fields came close down to the road and also to the water and in the corner thus formed stood a very small poor cabin. This lake was Loch Sheen, and it was in that cabin that Usher had apprehended Tim Reynolds and the two other men little more than a fortnight ago. Joe stopped a moment when he reached the spot till Thaddy, who was following the other men, had come up, and then, pointing to the low door, close to which he stood, said, The last deed as that ruffian did as now lies so low was in that cabin. It were there he seized Tim and dragged him off with ropes around his arm and sent him to Balamore Bridewell, and all forspaken a few words of comfort to an old woman he'd known since he were a little child. I swore, Mr. Thaddy, that that man would be put beneath the sod before the time came round that Tim would be out again, and this very night I were grieving in my heart to think that he were out of the country safe and merry, ready again to play the same bloody game 
with them among he were going, and that I should let him go without so much as making one effort to keep my word with him. By God, Mr. Thady, queer as you may think it, who are now so low within yourself with what you've done, that thought was heavy on my heart this night. Had I known the way he had travel, I would follow him, had it been for days and nights, till I got one fair blow. By dead, he would never have wanted a second. Corney, what's that old hag doing since her two sons in jail along with Tim? I think she's doing badly enough. She were never from her bed since. Phaedro, they'll never be out in time to bury her. Is it starving she is? Well, then, I believe that's the worst of it. That and the agony, and no one to mind her at all. It's enough to kill an old woman like her. Never mind, replied Joe. It will be a comfort to her anyway to hear that Usher's gone before her. But not what they'll go to different places, though. And then, after a time, he added, Usher's black soul has gone its long journey this night with more curses on it than there are stones on these shingles. But come on, lads, we mustn't be standing here. We must be in Ogkashel before sunrise, or else they'll be stopping us as we pass through the country. And again they went through the clear, bright moonlight. They passed Loch Sheen, and soon afterward another little lake, lying also to the left of the road. And then they found themselves in the small village of Kashkarrigan. This they passed through silently and quickly, and without speaking a word, and having proceeded about half a mile on the road towards Ballinmore, they again left it and took to the fields. They went along the northern margin of Loch Dini, running where the ground was hard enough, at other times stepping from one dry sod to another through gaps and fences, which seemed as well known to Thaddy's guides as the cabins in which they had passed their lives. They had left Drumshambo to their left, and at about four in the morning they came to Loch Allen. Here they got upon a road which for some way skirts the eastern side of the lake, along which they ran for about a mile and a half, and then turned into a small boring, or path, and began to ascend the mountains. "'Aye, boys, now,' said Corney, "'we're all right when we're here, and by the powers I'm hot,' and the man began wiping his brow with his sleeve. "'What, Corney, you're not blowing yet,' said the other, "'and here's Mr. Thaddy as fresh as a four-year-old. "'Come along, man. "'The sooner as he's got a snug room over his head, the better he'll be. "'You forget he's not accustomed to be out all night "'and take his supper of moonshine as you are. "'Come along, Mr. Thaddy. "'You'll soon be where you'll get a good drop as ever a man tasted, "'and you'll feel a deal better when you've got a glass or two of that stuff in you.' "'Thaddy, who in spite of Joe's compliment as to his freshness, "'was so weary that he could hardly drag his legs along,' and who had seated himself for a moment upon one of those big loose stones which were scattered over the side of the hill, again rose, and they all resumed their journey. They soon lost track of the boreen, but they still continued to ascend, keeping by the sides of the loose-built walls with which the land was subdivided. It was astonishing what labor had seemingly been wasted in piling wall after wall in that barren place, and that even in spots where no attempt had been made at tillage, and where the only produce the land afforded was the food of a few miserable sheep and goats, which it might be thought could have grazed in safety, without the necessity for all those numerous fences. These, however, after a time ceased too. But just at that spot where the open mountains no longer showed any sign of man's handiwork, Dan Kennedy's lime-kiln was built, and immediately behind it were the two cabins of which we had spoken before. 
It was at the door of the furthest of these two that Joe did not knock, but raised the latch and rattled it. The old man within well knew the sign, and getting out of bed, drew the wooden bolt and admitted the three into the cabin. Though he did not expect Joe or Corney, and had not an idea who Thaddy was, and though Thaddy's dress, which was somewhat better than those worn by his usual associates, must have struck him as uncommon, he made no remark, but hobbled into bed again, merely saying in Irish, God save ye kindly boys, it's a fine night ye've had, the Lord be praised. There was a second bed in the place, if a filthy ragged cotton tick filled with straw, and lying on the ground could be called a bed, in which the old man's daughter was lying. It was nearly dark now out of doors, for the moon had disappeared, and it was hardly yet six o'clock, but one of the men lighted a candle, of which there were two or three hanging against the wall. The girl was not asleep, for her eyes were wide open looking at the party, but she seemed not at all surprised by their entrance, or at the addition to their usual number, for she lay quiet where she was, as if such morning guests in her bedchamber were no unusual thing. Joe now got a stool for Thaddy, and he and Corney sat down opposite the fire while Reynolds drew a stone jar out from under the old man's bed. He seemed well to know the place where it was to be found and reaching a crack cup down from the shelf which was fixed unto the wall over the fireplace, filled it with spirits, and handed it to Thaddy. He swallowed a considerable portion of it and returned it, when Joe filled it again, finished the contents himself, and gave it again full to Corney, who in a very short time did the same. "'By gore,' said the latter, "'I wanted that, and I tell you that's not bad work. "'Why, Mr. Thaddy, have done with your misters, Corney,' said Joe in a whisper." Let them find out who he is thyself. They'll know soon enough, devil doubt them. There's no good telling them yet, anyhow. That's true, Joe, but as I was saying, that's not bad work. Why, Mr. Thad... Sorrow, seize your tongue, then, you born idiot. Well, by dad, it comes so natural to me, Joe, to call him by his own name, that one can't help it. But it were only four o'clock when we left this, this blessed afternoon. That is, yesterday afternoon. And since that we were down at Mulrady's, and then at Drumslish, and now we're here again. Why, how many miles is that? Never mind the miles. And Joe pointed to Thaddy. He has done a deal more than that in the same time, and whatever comes of it, he did a good deed. Howsoever, if you take my advice, you'll take a stretch now. Meg. I say, Meg. And he turned round to the girl who was lying in the corner. Get out of that, and make room for this man to lie down. You've been asleep all night. Make room for your betters now. The girl, without grumbling, turned out of bed, and burdened with no feeling of conventional modesty, commenced and finished her toilet by getting into an old ragged calico gown and tying up with a bit of antique tape her long rough locks, which had escaped from their bondage during her sleep. Thaddy for a long time resisted, but Joe at last was successful in persuading him to take advantage of the bed which Meg had so good-humouredly relinquished. I and Corney have still work to do afore daylight, and we won't be back afore it's night, said Joe. But do you bide here and you'll be safe. You must put up with the pratties this day, for there's nothing better in it at all. But I'll be getting something fitter for you by night, and if you feel low, which you'll be doing now when you wakes, mind, there's the spirits in the jar there under the bed. A sup of it won't hurt you now and again, for indeed you'll be wanting it by yourself here all day. And look, you and he led him to the door as he spoke and pointed to the two within. They'll soon know who you are, and all about it, 
but you needn't be talking to them, you know, and you may be quite certain that even should any one be axing about you, they'll never speak or give the word to the police or any one else. If you like to go out during this day, don't go further than the kiln, and if you lie there, you could easily see for miles afore they were nigh you, even if anything should put it into their heads to think of coming after you to Ogkashel. The two guides then took their leave of him, and Thaddy laid himself down on Meg's bed, and after a time, from sheer fatigue and exhaustion, he fell asleep. End of section 29. The Escape.